resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And last week I told you, oh no, he arose for sure. I submitted to you evidence for the resurrection. We settled that question, but there's another one I'm afraid we'll have to, if we're honest, try to tackle tonight, and it's this. Okay, Jesus is alive, and he arose, so what? What are the ramifications of his resurrection for us today? So what? How do we answer that question? What does the resurrection mean for? What are its implications? So what? That Jesus arose. Uh, folks, I think it could be all summed up in one word, and it's this word, validation. Valid Would you say that with me? Validate. See, that's an important one. I want it to be the theme of our uh, little message tonight. You see, when something has been validated, it simply means there's evidence for it. When something has been validated, it's been confirmed by the facts. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what validates absolutely everything he said. What he did validates what he said. And so if you want to, I hope not, but if you want to discredit what Jesus said, all you have to do is discredit what he did. How could you believe in someone who made certain claims and did not fulfill them? So if you want to discredit Christianity and the words of Jesus, you try to discredit the works of Jesus. What is the major work of the Lord Jesus? What sets him apart as being unique? Folks, he rose from the dead. So if you, I challenge you, if you can disprove what he did, that he rose from the dead, you have succeeded in disproving the cornerstone, the bedrock of Christianity. But you cannot disprove it. The resurrection is based on, validated by, the evidence. We demonstrated that last week. How could you account for the empty tomb in any other way? How could you account for the post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus? How could you account for the transformed disciples? And how could you account for the change in worship day from Sabbath to Lord's Day? When you take the sum total of all the evidence, I defy you to explain it in any other way but that Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead. And therefore, the resurrection of Jesus validates the words of Jesus. Someone comes to you and says, I understand you believe in the words of Jesus. And you say, I hope unashamedly, yes, I do. They say to you, Why? And you say, because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And they say to you, why? And you say, because of the evidence. And so you see the work of Jesus validates all of his words. I can trust someone who said beforehand, I'll be taken prisoner. I will be tried on trumped up charges. Every principle of Jewish jurisprudence will be violated in my trial. I'll be publicly executed as a common criminal. And three days later, I'll rise from the dead. And then he does it. You know, I could follow somebody like that. I could devote my life to some... I could believe in somebody like that. I could accept as being validated all of the rest 
of what he had to say because he told me he'll be executed and rise from the dead. That's no small trick. Have you done it lately? No. I want to tell you, it gets your attention. So the work of Jesus, the resurrection, validates the very words of Jesus. You want to hear some of his words? Here they are. John 14, 19. Because I live, you shall live also. I believe it. Because the resurrection validates the words of Jesus. He said, because I live, you shall live also. And and, and folks, since the resurrection of Jesus validates the words of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus also validates your eternity. You see the significance of his rising from the dead? The resurrection validates not only his words, but the resurrection validates your eternity if you're a Christian. If you are his by faith, then because he lives, though he died, you will live, though you may die, before he returns. Do you see the significance of the resurrection? In Paul's day, however, there were Christians like us, But they were confused about what would happen to them when, not if, when they die. They didn't know for sure. They believed full well that their Lord, whom they followed, rose from the dead. But though they accepted with certainty his resurrection, they doubted their own. Paul was troubled by this. They were the Corinthians. And so he wrote to them about their unanswered questions about what would happen to them when they died. They were uncertain and confused about it all. You see, they missed the connection between Christ's resurrection from death and their own resurrection from death. They failed to see that his resurrection assured theirs. And so Paul said this to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see it? And so he's trying to confront them with their absolute inconsistent thinking. He said, how could it be that if you accept Christ's resurrection, how could it be that you doubt your own since you are missing the fact that his resurrection validates, confirms, supports, proves your own? So then, I ask you this question. Do you know what happens when you die? The Corinthians were a little uncertain and confused about it. Foggy-brained. Do you know what happens when you die? What do you think what happens to you when you die? People have thought long and hard about this because the inevitability of death confronts us all the time. And I'd like to suggest to you some of the creative ideas, guesses, people have come up with. Some say when you die... Your soul sort of uh, takes a vacation. It, uh, it sleeps. It's, it's, it's called soul sleep. You become a disembodied kind of spirit. You're disembodied from your soul. Your soul takes a kind of a nap for some indefinite period of time and then sort of wakes up somewhere, hopefully in a good place. But, but we speculate. Soul sleep. That's what happens to you. Do you buy that one? Good. Here's another theory advanced in answer to the question, what happens when you die? Some people say, no, not, not, not soul sleep. What happens when you die is that's it. Lights out. That's all, folks. You are, you are terminated. That, that's the end. Death is the end 
of everything. You just vanish somewhere. So there's soul sleep, and others suggest, no, termination is really what happens. Still others say, no, 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 when you die, you are reincarnated. You would be surprised to know that that particular um, uh, answer to the question of what happens when you die is really growing in popularity, even in our day. It's quite interesting. Reincarnation, which is sort of like recycling, isn't it? <laughs> you, you are recycled. You, you get turned in, you, you see, and then, and then you, you get recycled and come out as something, somebody else. Reincarnation. Others say, and this particular idea was quite popular with the Greeks of Paul's day and in Corinth, um, and actually is a teaching of Buddhism today and Hinduism today. Uh, uh, the idea is that every one of us has the kind of the spark of the divine within us, kind of the God within you. And that when you die, that spark uh, uh, goes back to the sort of grand fire of the universe. It's called absorption. You disappear. You are simply absorbed back into the divine mind out there, the cosmic divine fire. So you have some options here. You have, you have uh, soul sleep, or you have termination, or you have reincarnation, or you have absorption. But Jesus, who validated what he had to say by the resurrection, he didn't speak about these. He spoke about something called resurrection. I read it in the Bible. And he validated everything he said by what he did. He rose from the dead, just as he said he would. And his resurrection validates not only what he says, his resurrection validates our resurrection, those of us who are connected to him by faith. This so took Paul the apostle. He said it is our source of hope. He tried to communicate this as best he could to the confused Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and 20. He said, if we have hoped, we Christians, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first Fruits, it's an agricultural thing. First fruits means much more to come. He's the first fruits of those who are asleep. So when a Christian, oh, I love the way it says it. It doesn't say die as with permanence. When a Christian sleeps, he is part of the grand harvest to come in resurrection following the resurrected first fruits of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rose first. His followers will follow. That's why it's good to be one of his followers. Don't you see? Because we follow him also up from the grave. His resurrection validates ours. We look forward to our resurrection because we can look back to his. Don't you get it? I'm not guessing about soul sleep and absorption and recycling and all that stuff. I plan to be resurrected because Jesus said so. And I could believe him because he validated what he said by what he did. He rose up from the grave. Now, folks, i got to tell you this. Well, I don't have to tell you this. It's true. Do you know the process of death is operating in us all the time? Even as we sit here, I mean, look at us. 
And it's going to... Gee, I hope I'm not a real downer, but I guess we have to be realistic about this. It's operating in our bodies all the time, and it eventually will succeed in dragging us down to the grave. That's just the way it is for all of us. But then, not only will we believers in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, not only will we be restored to new life, we will enjoy deathlessness forever in changed and glorified bodies which are fit for eternity. These ain't deathlessness. Have you ever experienced it? No. We will. How do I know this? Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection life. That's why. Folks, the victory previously held very tightly in the hands of death is now being held very tightly in the hands of Almighty God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Therefore, Paul could say as he did in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 57, Oh, death, where is your victory? Apart from Christ, it has the last word, you know. It has victory. Now the question is being asked, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Like a viper's sting, how hurtful it is. Death, it separates, causes us to grieve. It stings us. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Come on, let's fess up. We're responsible for ushering it in to reality. God's intention from before time was that we would obey him, not commit sin, and thus not suffer the throes of death, the sting of death. What empowers and enables it is human sin. The power of sin is the law. All God has to do is say, thou shalt not. And boy, before he can get the words out of his mouth, we have done, done, violated that one. Don't you see? The law is good and perfect, but we don't obey it. The sting and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, says Paul, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more the sting of death. So we look forward to our resurrection for one reason and one reason only because we can look back with confidence to his resurrection. And so Paul also said this in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, and 14. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain. Folks, if Christ has not been raised... Preaching about him, talking about him is in vain. We don't have any great story to tell. He's still entombed. Lots of people die and stay there. What is unique and significant about him? If there is no resurrection, Christ himself hasn't been raised. And if he hasn't been raised, we have nothing to say to people about him. And our faith is in vain. But no, it's not. Because Christ has been raised and there's plenty of evidence to prove it. So his resurrection validates his words, your eternity, and your faith in him. Don't waver. Your faith is not a blind leap from, from, from logic to blind sort of speculative belief. Do you realize when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an evidentiary basis for it? Empty tomb, post-resurrection appearances, transformed disciples, and movement from Sabbath day to Lord's day. How else do you explain it? 
The resurrection proves, you see, that Jesus is unique. It proves that he's one of a kind. The resurrection is what distinguishes him from all other pretenders to the throne. This is what I mean. Our faith in Christ is based on what he said. But it is validated by what he did. What did he done do? (laughs) He rose from the dead. And that sets him apart from absolutely everybody else. Other religious leaders taught. But what did they do to validate what they taught? And without validation of what they said, you tell me, what reason is there for their followers to continue to follow them? What validates what their leaders have said? So, for instance, Muslim people follow the teachings, as you know, of Muhammad. But I want to ask the question, what did Muhammad do to validate what he said? Buddhist people follow the teachings of Buddha. But what did he do to validate what he said? Mormon people. I know this. I was visited by some just the other day. Uh, They follow the teachings of Joseph Smith. But I ask you again, what did Joseph Smith do to validate what he said? If you look into what Joseph Smith did, you'll find out that what he did invalidated what he said. Members of the Unification Church, otherwise known as the Moonies, follow the teaching of Reverend Sun Myung Moon. But what did he do to validate what he says? Secular humanists de-supernaturalize everything. There ain't no God except that which is between their two ears. They worship reason and intellect. Secular humanists follow themselves. But I ask you, what do secular humanists do to validate what they tell themselves? Christians follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. But what did he do to validate what he said? He rose up from death just as he said. Nobody else did it. Don't reserve celebration of the resurrection just for Easter Sunday. (laughs) It's an everyday thing. Nobody else did what he did. He stands alone in rising up from the dead. All others are still entombed. His resurrection validates our faith. Our faith in him, you see, is not in vain. His word is validated by his resurrection. Our eternity is validated by his resurrection. Our faith in him is validated by his resurrection. And one final thing, our service for him is validated by his resurrection. After teaching in 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthians, about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, Paul led them to a grand conclusion. It's the last thing he said in that chapter. He led them to a practical application. This, what he said here at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, is Paul's answer to the question we opened with. Jesus rose from the dead, so what? Here's how Paul answers in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore... My beloved brethren, be steadfast. Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus arose, therefore, my beloved brethren, I apologize to those of you here who are not Christians. This does not apply to you. Thank you for coming and being our guests. 
I hope you're enjoying yourself, but you're excluded from what I'm about to read until you include yourself by asking Christ to come into your life and forgive your sin. It's a very interesting thing. It's an exclusive message, but it can include everyone who accepts it. So, so, so maybe you want to do that because I feel so terrible. I'm almost, I feel like I have to apologize to you because you're undoubtedly feeling uncomfortable right now because this ain't you yet. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. <clears throat> what we do for him is very costly. It's not an easy road. If anyone ever tells you become a Christian and you'll have smooth sailing, they ain't one. It gets really rough. Things you used to do and enjoy, you can't anymore. Someone out there named Satan targets you like never before. Your flesh rises up and wages war against God's spirit in you, and it's a battle almost every day that you must win with God's help. If anyone tells you the Christian life is smooth sailing, good night. They must be a Mooney. It's very difficult. And then when you seek to do the Lord's work, when you seek to do, as we saw depicted in the wonderful video, this fellow Nate going to West Africa, oh, I wonder at what great personal cost. And then when you go devoted and dedicated, oftentimes not well received, sometimes persecuted for identification with the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, you really have to count the cost. And so there's a lot of reasons for us to want to give up, bail out, and quit. A lot of reasons. Some of us do become fruitless and unproductive. Paul says, oh, no. The resurrection validates all of your service. Oh, no. Don't drop out. Be steadfast, immovable, always more and more abounding in the work of the Lord. You have to know this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, your labor is not in vain. Don't worry about what people say and think. And what their response is, the Lord, the living Savior is responding. Don't you want to hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. In another part of the Bible, Paul was speaking to another group of Christians at a place called Thessalonica. And he said to them to, to encourage their spirits, he said, ah, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. You know why he's going to do that? Because he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. <laughs> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. <clears throat> and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus... We shall always be with the Lord. So my fellow followers of the risen Savior, my fellow servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, all you and I have to do is keep abounding in the work of the Lord only until we hear this. And then we shall forever be with the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being in our midst now, alive, taking up your dwelling, not only in our church, but in our individual lives. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers because you're alive and well. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ascension, seated at the right hand of the Father, the position of power and honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that one day absolutely everyone will acknowledge that you won victory over the last enemy death. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that now we, each Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, old, young, everybody has the opportunity to say, come into my life. I'm dead, spiritually dead. Separate from all the goodnesses of Almighty God, from peace and kindness and self-control and all the rest. I'm corpse-like. I no longer can experience joy and peace in my own efforts. It's a vanishing commodity. I'm the walking dead. I'm the living dead. I'm spiritually dead, resurrected, alive from the dead. Savior, save me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make my very life your dwelling place. Fill me and inhabit me. Turn me on. Turn me loose. Make me to be one who goes about all places also telling the greatest story ever told about a risen Savior, categorically different than a Mohammed and a Buddha and a Moses and a Reverend Moon and all the rest. No, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. I don't care what men may say because the words, Lord Jesus, which you spoke about resurrection and life, you validated by the most magnificent work of all time up from the grave you arose. Lord Jesus, we look forward for you coming back again. Until then, there's much we must do in your name. And we know because you're alive, because we shall live forevermore with you. What we do in your name is in no wise in vain. Empower us, therefore, Lord Jesus, now more than ever before. This we pray in the name of our risen Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.